Hello, and thanks for joining us for True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. Today's session is lesson three of the Parents Seminar, and this is by Heath Casey, and he is talking about parenting with eternity in mind. This is a great session that we went through, so get out your notebooks and get ready to take a lot of notes on parenting with eternity in mind. Thanks again for joining us for True to the Bible podcast. So, uh, a little bit about me. Uh, this is my family. Uh, as I said, my name is Heath Casey. Been married 19 years to Shay here. This is our backpacking trip that we took um, this past fall in Arkansas. I love going backpacking, and um, I usually go with guys in church, and I've been trying to talk my family into doing it. And it took COVID as there was no other vacation. <laughs> but we made it happen and everybody loved it. And what I love about backpacking, it's the only thing I found where you can literally go up to three days more, but we two to three days, no cell reception. None. And it's, it's just really hard and rare to do, to, to know nothing about what's going on in the outside world. Um, and it's incredibly intimate. Um, and it's always fascinating when you get back three days later and you turn the cell phone on and you're like, oh, what happened in the world? <laughs> we could be at war, we don't even know. We're just out here in the wilderness. Um, but uh, I loved it. We, uh, we uh, were on the Buffalo River and we hiked up and had this really great camping spot. We were about 20 minutes walk from the river and we were out of water in the morning and uh, we sent the oldest two. So this is my oldest, Reese. Uh, she's 14 and then my son, Rory, uh, who's 12, we sent them down to get water, and um, it's a 20 minute walk, and you can't watch them, and uh, you can't call them on their cell phone, right? And uh, about 45 minutes go by, and I can see Shay looking at me like, <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> I'm like, they'll be fine. So they made it back, and then my youngest here is uh, Reagan, and she's in second grade, and so, um, and then we actually got a snow picture when it, you know, great snow in Oklahoma. My kids love the snow. Um, so that's my family. Uh, a little bit more about me. Uh, I came to faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life in my junior year of high school. Um, I'd been around Christianity my whole life. Um, would have considered myself a Christian, but uh, I was old enough to remember that I was absolutely converted from the religion of more good than bad. That was my framework. I was definitely trying to save myself, and I was very cognizant of it. I, I imagined bad doctrine that I would get to heaven, and Jesus would weigh out the good and the bad, and as long as there was more good, I could spend eternity with him. That's, that's what I was going on in my mind in my teenage years, and of course you know you don't measure up. So it's a very anxiety-driven religion <laughs> that actually a lot of people in this country uh, believe in. And, uh, but I uh, heard the gospel probably for the thousandth time, but uh, my junior year, I, I really heard it. And I put my faith, and I stopped trying to save myself, and I put my faith in Christ. And I remember, I remember thinking, wow, this is really good news. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, uh, Oklahoma State alum. I came here, I came to faith at my junior year. I was pretty on fire for the Lord. Thought I was coming to Stillwater to get a degree from Oklahoma State, but I was really coming here to be discipled by JB, and that's what happened. Um, I fell in love uh, with uh, actually hearing somebody teach the Word of God. And um, 
I got through Oklahoma State. <laughs> C's earned degrees. Um, but I spent all my time uh, going, I mean, he taught Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and that's, I, I just was absolutely devouring everything I could. And so, um, yeah, I got discipled uh, with JB, and it, it changed my life, changed the direction of my life. And I knew I wanted uh, to teach the word, and I've gotten to do that uh, over these these past 20 years. Um, I am an elder and get to do a lot of teaching at my local church in Tulsa, it's Fellowship Bible Church. Um, and um, just to remind you guys here in, in the opportunity that you have, and I see it all the time as an elder in my church, you have people, because you're in a, in a college community town, you have people coming through here that are gonna spend a season of their life and um, so maybe you have somebody for three or four years and they're not, they're not gonna be a long lifetime member of this church, but you are sending them out all over. And they're all over Tulsa, I see them all the time. And I have several people in my church who spent a season here and are passionate about the clarity of the gospel. And uh, the Lord shows it to me all the time. So you're, you're doing incredible work. You may not think of it as missions, but I see it as missions and you guys are doing it. And so there's just an encouragement to keep that up. Uh, one of the guys that came through here is teaching 1 John to the adults at my church right now. Um, and he's doing a great job. And then the last thing, what I do, uh, my day work, and I'm always hesitant to say this because um, people are like, oh no. <laughs> this is going to be so exciting. <laughs> so I, I, in my role at my church, I meet a lot of guests and I, um, we do membership training and you, know, you meet with the elders and it's just part of conversation, right? What do you do? And I'm like, should I tell them I'm an accountant? <laughs> because the minute you say you're an accountant, you can see in their eyes like, oh no. I'm just not talking to an accountant. Well, I am an accountant. And, uh, and I, uh, I actually uh, work in the oil field. And just past January, this was me on an oil field site out in uh, West Texas, below New Mexico, way out there. Wow, Texas is so big. I am in what I think the end of West Texas, and we're driving out. We're technically below uh, New Mexico, and I see a sign, El Paso, 250 miles. I'm like, what's the <laughs> This thing is so big. But that's what I do. Uh, spend spend my days um, in the oil field. So uh, a little bit just about me. I love to do deep dives. I'm a researcher at heart. And then find ways to communicate that well. Um, Ephesians 4 says that the church were given these gifts. And one of those gifts is teaching, right? And those gifts were given to equip the saints to do what? Ministry, Ministry right? And so he only equips those really, really, really good, perfect Christians, right? Is that what saints are? No, he, he, all those gifts are given to equip every single believer to do the work of ministry. Ministry is not done by paid professionals. It's done by every single believer. Mm -hmm. And parenting is ministry. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> I'm, I'm halfway through. I'm on the second half of seeing my kids um, being in my home. And it is ministry. It is real work. It requires all those things David talked about. Um, but the church has been, you've been given gifts to equip you. And that's really what I'm doing today. Um, I'm not gonna, this, this isn't rocket science, I probably don't have anything new to tell you, um, but I have been equipped in an amazing way by other faithful believers who passed on really good parenting things, and I'm just here to faithfully share those with you today. 
to equip you. Um, Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And I'm just going to highlight what David said, the wisdom that comes from above. Okay? And in that same section in chapter 2, I'm going to read some of these things. He makes it clear that we're to uh, treasure his commandments, make our ear attentive, incline our heart to understanding, cry for discernment, lift our voice for understanding, seek her as silver, search for her as hidden treasures, discern the fear of the Lord, and discover the knowledge of God. Did you hear all those active verbs? Treasure, be attentive, incline, cry out, lift your voice, seek, search, discern, discover. Wisdom from above does not just fall on our lap. It's pursued. And I, I firmly believe, this is, a, this is a line that we say in our church all the time, and, and I say when I'm teaching, I firmly believe that the word of God is able to be understood with the help of the Holy Spirit, humble effort, and ordinary means. Help of the Holy Spirit, humble effort, and ordinary means. We don't earn God's wisdom by pursuing it per se. It's not like it's some contract where it's like, well, he did that. I have to give it to him. No, he is a generous father ready to pour it out, but we have to seek it. And so I get excited when I see what you guys are doing today and what Hunter put on. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. And the second part gets forgotten. But I'd ask if do you believe this, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I will stand up here, it's not my purpose today, but I can stand up here and testify to this. He is a rewarder of those who seek after him. And so, like I said, I don't know that I have anything new to say, but I hope to give you an encouragement and remembrance of what matters to you, what you really matters to you in light of eternity and raising your children. Um, as Christians, we suffer from what I call heart forgetfulness. Okay, We forget the truths that we know. And I'm not saying that we academically forget them. We don't. You know, if I recall in my mind, yeah, yeah, I know what the Bible says about that. But, when we, but in the busyness of life, the distractions, they stop becoming real to us. Okay? And we need to gather. We need to come together. All the more as the day draw nears, as the Hebrew writer puts it, to encourage one another because we, we suffer from heart forgetfulness. And we need to be reminded and encouraged of the truths that we believe. And, and Peter says this. I love how he says this. He says, therefore, I, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. That's what I want to do for you today. Um, so, the three things we're going to cover, I'm going to talk about this ready-to-launch ministry that we do in my church. And because of that, why I want to do that is I've spent the last 10 years doing a deep dive and research on, frankly, why so many kids who grow up in an evangelical church are not taking their faith into adulthood. Um, and I have a lot of resources, and I've condensed them down, and I just want to share those with you. Secondly, I want to remind you of the reality on the ground. I probably don't need to convince this audience that the world out there is opposed to the gospel, it's opposed to Jesus Christ, and it's opposed to his word. Um, but I think we, we lose sight of just how powerful the world's mold is in trying to conform us to its image. And I just want to remind you of that and encourage you um, 
I don't care how protective you think you are, and, and, and these guys are right. We, we need to be active in protecting our kids from these things of the world. But you and them, you're breathing the air that you live in, okay? And we just need to be cognizant of that and a reminder there. And then lastly, I wanna share two frameworks that were passed on to me early on in my parenting that have been foundational for how I go about parenting my kids with this perspective of raising spiritually healthy, mature adults. Because at the end of the day, that's me and my wife's goal. Um, not material success, not perfection, not appearing to be okay to others around us. We want them to launch from our, with that arrow, we want them to launch from our home as mature ambassadors of Christ. And that's where we all, me and my wife are always reminding us, when, when we get busy, we get distracted, and we get thinking about other things to come back to, that's our main goal. And these frameworks have done that for us. So, take out your phone and um, your smartphone. We're going to do a little interactive poll. Go to pollev.com, pollev.com, and when you're there, um, it'll ask you to enter this HeathKC445. See if this works. I use this in my work uh, trainings. Pollev.com. Are we getting there? Is it making sense? Lance. Yeah. <laughs> Lance's rotary phone doesn't connect to the internet. <laughs> he typed in go to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what are we putting in? Heath Casey four four five. Okay, I'm the oldest person in this room. I have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> Are we there? We feel good? Can I go forward? Are these your questions? Is it your question that popped up? Yep, okay. it should. Okay. I was looking for the cookies back here. Is something about cookies? Okay. So um, when I go to this slide, you should have a pop-up question. Um, please answer it, and then there's a bottom part if you make a mistake and clear your response. But in terms of having your kids in your home, I'm just curious about this audience. What stage of parenting are you in? The first third, the middle third, or the final countdown? Yeah, I didn't give you enough. <laughs> you never stop being a parent, though. I'm still a Right. It's a technology. It works, Lance? Oh, good for you. Okay. So a lot of first thirds, middle third, a little. I'm, I'm closer to the final countdown. Um, in that end of the middle third. Okay. Next question. How many kids raised in an evangelical church continue to be active in their faith after they leave the home? This is a broad survey research. What percentage do you think that were raised in an evangelical church? And I'm not talking come Christmas Easter. I'm talking about active participant in a local church. Continue in their faith after they leave the home. And think about that first decade after they leave that home. That's, that's who they're surveying. Anybody voting yet? Yeah. Okay. Is it not? It's not loading. Mine won't answer the next question. Mine won't answer the next question. Oh, it won't? No. No? I'm going to go back and forward again and see if it reloads. There we go. Just refresh your page, Paige. Does that work? So we got some 50%. Not too many optimists in here. We got 30%. We got lower than 10% being the dominant answer. Okay. Next question. What do you think, and, the, and this is broad research, right? Like Lance said, 
jurisprudence with this. What has the highest correlation to kids having an active faith after they leave the home? Got some votes coming in. Everybody seems to be going with A so far. Oh, there's a B. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, no. <laughs> okay, so most people think A. Okay, uh, there's a C. Okay, there's the outliers. All right, next question. Think of this in mind. This is, we can argue about what a biblical worldview is. This is literally what was presented when people were surveyed that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, God's all-powerful, all-knowing, creative universe, and he still rules it today. Salvation is a gift from God and cannot be earned. Satan is real. Christians have a responsibility to share their faith, and the Bible is accurate in all its teachings. Okay, That's what was presented to the people they surveyed as a biblical worldview. So my question is, what percent of self-proclaimed born-again Christians in the U.S., have a biblical worldview. That, that view, they would answer yes to all those prior statements. <laughs> yeah. There's an optimist. Who is it? Okay. Follow-up question. Um, this, this question's 10, year old, 10 years old, so I, don't, I think the number's probably gone down. But 10 years ago, 65% of the young adults in the U.S. reported having made a commitment to Christ. That's the language the surveyors used, okay? What percent of this audience held to that biblical worldview, those seven points? What do you think? Where's my optimist? I'm going <laughs> to... Okay, 50, 30, 10. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay, so um, we'll come back to that. I want to tell you about this ready to launch. So 10 years ago, it's really been a little longer than 10 years ago, a really close friend of mine and a teacher at our church, um, we were discussing, this was a hot topic about 10 years ago. There was a couple books out. Uh, Barna and others were putting out a lot of research um, because there was this alarming trend that a lot of kids who grow up in an evangelical church were not continuing to be active in their faith after they left the home. And so we were talking, he had, uh, his kids were all, he had four kids and the last one was leaving the home. He had just spent the last 10 years heavily involved in our church's youth group. I, my oldest was four. And so we were kind of interested in talking and you know, and we were like, I wonder how our church is doing. And he knew a lot of the kids that had come through. So he was unscientific and informal, but he just kind of did a survey and uh, we were rattled. Well over half the kids that he had seen come through that youth group in the last 10 years were not active in a local church or in their faith in any way at that point. Half. And we're a Bible teaching church. We're very serious. Uh, we're clear on the gospel. And half of our kids aren't are participating and active in their faith. And so uh, we started this ministry called Ready to Launch. And so every January, we meet with our seniors, and me and him, and we just spend six to eight weeks with them and helping them prepare and think about living out their faith in that next stage of life. Because what we found is parents were doing ACT prep, they were doing career training, they were visiting colleges, they were filling out applications, and they were doing nothing to think about how's my kid going to live out their faith in the next place they go, in the next community they live. I mean, there was no plan, right? Um, and so, um, let me see if I'm, my slides are. I'm not good with PowerPoint, but all the time. <laughs> there we go. Okay, so um, 
And this is, this is what the, the research was showing. You guys looked at the question, but six to, six to seven of every 10 kids raised in the evangelical church were not carrying their faith into adulthood. That's two thirds for the non-accountants in the room, okay? <laughs> um, and like I said, we were finding they were doing no, the parents were, were doing no preparing. And so we, we come along beside these seniors and that's all we help them do. Um, our church uh, supports uh, missionaries on, on all the major universities, including Arkansas, and we support Dan Boone here at Oklahoma State. We would bring them in to help them develop relationships ahead of time. We would help them research local churches, where they were going, and put together a plan to think about, how am I going to thrive spiritually in this next place? Um, and, and we've seen that it's helped, um, and, and our kids are more prepared. But really, by the time they're seniors, it's, it, in a lot of ways, it's too late. But the reason we started doing that is what the research showed is that an overwhelming majority of the kids, they didn't have this plan to just jump ship when they left the home. That really wasn't it. They, they reported that they just gradually drifted away. And they didn't have a plan, but, but, but I don't know, Satan did have a plan, all right? And so we're sending them out to, to war in some sense with no plan. Um, and, I, and I think that's, that's a possibility, because I'm not talking about their eternal standing before God. But Satan absolutely has a plan to make sure they're useless and unfruitful, unproductive in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. And those first five years after they leave the home is where they're really carving out their path for their next 50 years. It's when they're going to decide what kind of career they're going to pursue. They're probably going to meet their spouse. A lot of people meet their spouses in those years. They, they meet their lifelong friends in those years. And I think absolutely Satan wants to drag them down in carnality and sin and scar them up. Um, and to make them un, unfruitful and unproductive in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so, um, yeah, I'm really passionate about this because it just makes me so sad. And what we find is a lot of these kids, and I don't, I don't, it's not their eternal standing, but this time period where they had no plan, um, it scars them up, and a lot of them drift away from the body, and they don't find their way back. So... Um, the next thing about that uh, I want to talk about is those correlations. So most of you thought it was parents having a very uh, uh, active faith. And that's right. That's the highest correlating factor is that their parents model an active faith, just what David was talking about. And remember, these are broad statistics, right? There's exceptions to all of this. Um, but in today's gender equality, I have, to, I have to point this out. And this is hard to hear, okay? I know it's hard to hear. But... This is the father thing. This is the Deuteronomy 6 thing. 75% of children whose father was the spiritual leader of their home, the active, an active believer who led the family's involvement in the church, went on to have an active faith, okay? But when the father's absent and the mother's trying to do it, and they should, I'm not, don't be discouraged moms, but it, only 15%. That's hard to hear, but that's, that's what we see. And so, um, let's see if I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so fathers, take take that to heart. If you think you can outsource the spiritual development of your children, you're you can't. It cannot be done. It is it's the way it was designed, as as Lance was talking about, okay? Um, the other the, the second highest correlating factor, in their teenage years they had devotional lives. And and that's kind of a vague word, but this, they were they were self-feeders. They had a real relationship with the Lord where they were going to his word, they were praying. Uh, on their own. They didn't have that to, to do it and channel it through their parents' faith. They had a real living faith. 
And so they were self-feeders. And I'm going to use this term a lot. Um, you guys were using it. But in our home, um, we talk about um, uh, spirit getting into the word as like food. Like we use that language of eating and, and not starving yourself spiritually. And, and we use cooking terms to talk about going to eat. And I just love to eat. So <laughs> I'm realizing that. That's why I do that. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, but we do. We talk about it. I, and I talk about that with my teenage kids or, and, and my other ones. You, you can't starve yourself spiritually. Are you getting into the word? And so we're promoting this devotional life. We have high, good, but high expectations for them. Yeah, you know? So um, let me see what the next slide is. Yeah. So what's cool, though, and I see this in our youth in our church, is um, they get to their senior year and they're in that class. And one of the things that we make them honestly face is, do you, really, do you know how to feed yourself on your own? Do you, do you know how to do it? Admit to yourself. And you know what? A lot of them don't. They don't know how to go into the Word and, and prepare a meal for themselves. And so we help them in that. And, and you just, and I encourage you the same way, whatever age you have, just get them using the microwave. Get, let them try it. They, kids can use the microwave, right? Get them into the Bible. Let them use the microwave. And what I find is they, it takes, by God's grace, kids that didn't really do it and they're trying to do it there at the end, they're 18, they can make up so much ground so fast. God's so full of grace. I mean, they will get to the microwave. Next thing you know, they're boiling water on the stove. They're putting things in the oven and they're ready to go outside and grill some steaks. This is the language we use in our home. We're getting into the word. But they, but they can do it. Have those high expectations of your kids. If they can read, they can read the Bible, and not just the children's Bible. If they can memorize a song, they can memorize scripture. Have high spiritual expectations of them um, and, and encourage that. So the, the last thing I want to point out here, you guys are probably uh, familiar with this Luke 6 passage. Um, but he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you what he is like. What's, what's the difference in these two foundations? Mm. One solid, right? Yeah. Secure, built on the rock. The, the, the circumstances of life come and they can't shake it, right? What about the second one? No foundation. No foundation. No foundation. You know what's so convicting to me as a parent about this? Your kids are growing up and developing on your foundation. That's just the way God designed it. Very, very convicting. And so uh, back to what Lance and David said, we want to provide that solid foundation. And it's not our foundation, it's Christ. But that's what we're building on, right? Second, um, like I said, help them become self-feeders. Uh, they can do it. Help them along in that. When, it, when you look at a week, this image may be hard to see, and it's in that, if you scan that PDF, it's in your handout. How many hours are there in a week? 168 or something. 168, that's exactly right. If they're attending school Monday through Friday, that's those red squares in the week. If they're getting eight hours of sleep, that's these blue squares. Everything else is free to what you're going to pursue as a family. Okay? If you're just attending one time at a local church, say on a Sunday morning, and that's your only spiritual involvement in your family, what kind of impact do you think that's going to have? Not very much, Not very much right? No, your, your family and your kids are going to be spiritually malnourished if that's it. That's, that's, that's just the reality. And so what are we doing 
with all of these other hours. Um, it, it makes you think. So I would, I would encourage you as a family to sit down and think about what are we doing with all of these hours? Um, one of the things, the way that played out for my family, we love sports. We love sports. My kids play sports. Uh, might have had some influence uh, from my parents on that. Um, but uh, my, my son loves baseball, and, I, and, we, and we play sports baseball. He's in junior high baseball right now. Um, but as a family, when we looked at it, and he had opportunities to play competitive travel baseball, and this, is, this isn't for everybody, but this is a decision that we made with a spiritual intention. When they showed us that schedule, and they showed us the time commitment, they showed us when they were going to practice, me and my wife looked at it and I said, that's gonna take us out of the local body. It, it took us, it was weekend after weekend of missing Sundays, practicing on Wednesday night, and we just said, we, we, we can't do that. For our family, that was the decision we made, but we made it back with that one perspective of what are we ultimately wanting to do? We're wanting to raise up spiritually mature children to be ambassadors of Christ that are, that are, that are mature and strong in their faith. And we just felt if we take them out of all those gatherings with the local body, it, it's not going to help us do this. We're not going to use those tools that Hire was talking about, um, that the local church has been given those gifts to equip us with. So um, just a personal story on that. Okay. I want to talk about the reality on the ground. So let's go back to this biblical worldview question, right? What percent of self-proclaimed born-again Christians in the U.S. have a biblical worldview? This question in this survey is 10 years old, so you can decide if you think it's gotten better or not. <laughs> who was who my optimist? Don't feel bad. I, I, I am with you. I'm an, I'm an optimist. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it was Adam. I don't have my phone. <laughs> 9%. 9%. And what about for young adults, think it's better? 3%. The reality on the ground is, is, is there's a very intentional focus to get us to doubt God's word. All, 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 the, all the time and all the ways. And it shows up even amongst, uh, even amongst believers. It really does. And it starts with, Genesis 3. What is the first recorded words of the serpent? As indeed God said, did God really say? And, and just our culture is just constantly planting those seeds. And what are seeds of doubt meant to produce? Doubt. Doubt, doubt and unbelief. That's their goal. And it's just, did God really say? Did God, did, did God really create the world? Did he literally really do that? Most Christians don't believe that anymore. Did, did all those things really happen in the Bible? And, and, and they start with these things where, well, that's not important, that's not important, that's not important. But they, those seeds, they just collect. And did God really say, did God really say? And then you're going to look around and say, well, why would I believe this? Seeds of doubt are meant to har produce a harvest of unbelief. And it's happening all the time. And, and um, you guys support Jeff Anderson. He's a, a member at our church and a teacher at our church. And I would encourage you to use his resources. He is passionate about equipping families to help them raise their children and see the Bible literally. God has spoken, and he's not stuttered. And I just want you to know there's an intentional effort from everything they're doing in this culture to get them to doubt God's word. 
And, and its goal, ultimately, is to get them to doubt Jesus Christ, the gospel, and the resurrection. It starts with little seeds here and there, but, but it's creating a fracture in the foundation. This is a really good way to put it. This is what's happening in our society. Over here, you have man coming up uh, with their explanation of everything, building out from man, not from God's revealed word, um, coming up with origin stories, you know, evolution, and building out a framework for man alone. And it produces these balloons and these issues that we're all fighting about, okay? But what this knows, because, because this, is, this is Satan's plan, they know what they need to attack. They don't need to fight over these issues. They need to get people to doubt God's word. That's the real effort behind all of this. And what are Christians doing? Some of them are asleep. They're spending all the time and energy trying to, to fight these issues. And there's, there's good in that. Sometimes they're off doing their own thing. Sometimes people within Christianity are attacking God's revelation. Most Christians and active churches in the, in the world don't literally take God at his word. Which is, the, which is what faith is. Taking God at his word. And, and there's this really fascinating thing that God's word, which we believe in literally, I was reaching for a Bible, I don't have any. <laughs> but, but we believe that this is God's spoken revelation to us. We call Christ the living word. And how did he create all of this? He spoke it into being. The same agent that came here to, to, to procure our deliverance, the living word is the one who spoke it into being. There's something really powerful about all of this, and, and the enemy in the world knows that's what they're, they're attacking. So we have to be really diligent to equip our children to live in this world like this. Uh, another way I want to show it to you, um, I love Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And what? This is a command. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world. I love the way, <laughs> this is my, my cartoon I use for this all the time. You can see this world mold, and people are just on a conveyor belt, and the world is just molding them out, and they're coming up and shaped and being imaged into the world's imaged. Okay, that's, there's this active force of that doing it. And God says, don't be conformed to this. He's writing to believers. Don't be conformed to this world. I love the way the old Phillips paraphrase puts it. It says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. There's this active pressure of the world trying to shape us and shape our children in its image and not Christ's image. Um, let me just ask this. How are ideas false ideas, I would say, but how are ideas mainly communicated in our culture? Media. Social media? It's what you see, images? Television. Television, all that, yeah. yeah. Uh, Francis Schaeffer uh, communicated this so well um, in the 60s, but ideas, ideas are communicated through the arts. That's how ideas are communicated. And we don't always see it, and we don't always understand it, but because most people don't go and read philosophers and read, you know, people's theories about why we're here, how we think, what we know. Um, but most people get it funneled to them because those ideas make their pathway through the arts. And I love the arts. I'm not, I'm not communicating don't participate in the arts. My family does participate. But no, they're communicating ideas. And do those ideas match with God's revelation? And, 
And I know in some sense, uh, nothing's new under the sun, and I think a lot of the framework for the, for the false ideas that the, the world's trying to conform us to have been around. But what I think's different in our age is even just somebody a couple hundred years ago might have had access to a couple books or maybe a local library with a handful of books. They might have had uh, seen one live performance, you know. Um, how much is coming at us every single day in our children? Just the amount and the quantity of false ideas, I'm, I'm just using that term to say they don't line up with God's word, are coming at us in all these various ways. So as a family, we have to be diligent to help our children discern all of that through the lens of scripture. Don't be conformed to the world, right? We've got to think about all these things that we're ingesting. And if you're going to participate in culture, you're going to breathe the air that's out there. We have to be diligent, diligent parents to do this. And this takes time. It takes energy. It takes work. And you need to partner with your local church and other families to do this together. Um, so have a plan. Okay. Lastly, I want to talk about what I call a parenting toolkit. There's two helpful models um, that were just so invaluable to me, and, and they really have shaped how I parent uh, with a really spiritual and uh, intentional way. And then I want to make two exhortations that were given to me when I was a young parent that absolutely um, changed our life as parents and, and had, had just wonderful um, results. So the first one. Okay, I love this passage. <laughs> I use it all the time. And you're thinking, how's this a parenting passage? Well, let's see. So all scripture is inspired by God, right? It's breathed out, and it's profitable for what? Teaching, Teaching reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. To what end? Man of God be adequate. Yeah, yeah. I, this is what scripture is doing. I think this is an excellent discipleship passage and how we can come alongside people with the scripture and do these things with them. That's, I mean, parenting is discipleship, right? And, and just think about that, right? So there's four fours there. And sometimes we get stuck on, on that first one, okay? But there's four fours there. So we kind of know what teaching is, right? Teaching is communicating information, right? Um, it doesn't have to be, but a lot of times it's one-way communication. What is reproof? Right, it points out, hey, going the wrong way, Right? But it doesn't stop there. What does scripture do once you're saying, hey, going the wrong way? What's it do? It corrects us. It gets us back on the right path. And then the training. I, David was using this word, and I loved it. So much of parenting is, and I'll just pull these words apart the way they're used here, isn't teaching. It's training. Training is the everyday exercise. So, And then what are all these things doing? They're equipping, right? They're, they're, so that the man of God, or that your child may be adequate and equipped for every good work. This is what I'm parenting towards. And this is what I use this, this pattern for every day in the life of my kids so that they could be equipped for every good work, prepared to go out and live in this culture. So um, this is the, the model that I use that my kids are very familiar with and I use in my teaching at my church. There's this thing. So we're teaching, and we're along this path, and then we're using that teaching to train in righteousness and right living. But, but sometimes we get off path, right? And then it helps us get it corrected and get back into that training in righteousness. So a couple things I like to point out of this. Don't stop at just teaching, especially regarding spiritual growth. There's a, there's a whole process here. 
Teaching is only one of the four fours, okay? It's only one part of the equation. Um, do we call it potty teaching or potty training? Moms, what do we call it? Why do we call it potty training and not potty teaching? Did you just go, this is how you do it, there you go, I'll see you later. Is that how it works? <laughs> how does it work? It's training. So much of parenting is training, not just teaching. And, it, and it's the same way when teaching them truths. You can't just be like, well, told them about that. We're good there. It doesn't work that way, does it? Parents that are having older kids, it doesn't work this way in talking about sex in this culture. You can't go, well, have a conversation with sex with them. I'm good. We did it. Done. No, they're not equipped for this world with one conversation. By the time they leave the home, you need to have hundreds of conversations about sex with your kids. It's training, preparing, equipping them for every good work to live in this world. Teaching <coughs> is on my time. This comes back to time, David, but training is on theirs. And God is going to give you opportunities to train them, and a lot of times it means you have to give up what you're doing and make use that opportunity when it presents itself. Okay? Use the opportunity when it presents itself. They're going to be presented a lot. But, but have your spiritual lenses on and be prepared and look for them. Look for those training opportunities. Effective training requires practice and reps. That's back to the sports analogy. Um, but you're not going to do this once and be ready. We're going to do this over and over and get lots of repetition and lots of practice and lots of reinforcement. This whole equation implies what? That's right. Mistakes are going to happen. As a parent, don't be surprised by mistakes. Think of them as opportunities to help prepare them and equip them and train them. Um, like I said, this is what we're working towards. This is our long-term goal. I want a healthy, spiritually mature adult. Not perfection. Not faux per perfection. That's not, I, don't, I don't care about that. I want them to be able to be mature. And that when they're out on their own, they're self-feeding. And when they're out on their own, they know they can go to the Word. And when they make a mistake and confess and, and be cleansed and get right back into that intimate fellowship with the Lord. And this is what I want to encourage you to do out of this. Have lots of spiritual conversations with your kids. Lots of them. Okay? And that's hard to do. But, but I'm telling you, this naturalistic worldview that they live in has taken away all of that spiritual realm thinking, the unseen versus the seen. And it just clouds it. And you need to remind them of that unseen, of that spiritual realm all the time. And have those conversations. Turn everyday things back into a spiritual conversation. It's like the Deuteronomy 6 passage, Lance. As you're going, everything that you're doing, you're in the car, you're having this, turn those conversations around and, and bring the spiritual into them. So, this is what I, you know, I said teaching is often a one-way communication. Guess what? Rebuking and correcting and training require a two-way channel of communication. It, those things don't go one way. Okay? When that comes to living out and it comes to having correct doctrine. I remember my Reese, my youngest, she's probably eight, nine, or ten. She had um, put her faith in the Lord uh, for eternal life, been baptized. And we were talking one day, and we were talking about the gospel, and I asked her to explain it to me. Because we think, well, if we just tell them the gospel correctly, they got it, right? And you know what she, you know what she, she said back to me? A works-based gospel. I promise you, she never heard that in my home, and she never heard that in my church, right? But, that, but that's, it's just, that's where... 
I needed to hear that, so now I can rebuke and correct and train with her, right? But if we don't have those conversations and you're not asking those questions, you don't know. And don't live on that assumption. This is, I learned this from my wife. <laughs> she reminds me of this all the time. Where do quality conversations come from? From quantity time. Quantity time. Um, and, and those of you who have teenagers uh, know this, and, and you're going to be learning this. Um, you don't get to plan some of these conversations. You, you wish you could, you know, we'll just set out Thursday at 7, and we'll sit down, and we'll have this intimate conversation. No, sometimes you're going up, you're tired, you're ready to go to bed, and you say goodnight to your 14-year-old, and you could just say, oh, she's ready to have a 30-minute conversation, and I've got to be present for this. <laughs> it's on their time. you got to do it. Guess what? Smartphones are intimate conversation killers. <laughs> I love my smartphone, and I, and I hate it, but um, they always are interrupting intimacy. Okay, find times to have conversations where they're out of the way. I, I, I do a lot of discipleship one-on-one -on -one with guys in coffee shops and we're meeting and it's just becoming a pandemic. They got the phone out and the minute they put the phone out on the table, it's like this, is, it, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying this is more important to you, but if this thing yells at me, I, I need to take it, <laughs> right? And, all, and now that the smartphone is communicating the watch, where I'm having an intimate conversation with a guy and what's it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can't have conversations like that. But that's, that's what we're facing. So be, be cognizant of that. Um, in your home, say out loud what you believe, especially spiritual things. Simple truths, keep reaffirming them. And then I talked about heartfelt forgiveness. That's why we need to have these spiritual conversations. Um, the second one, everybody knows this is a parenting passage, right? <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Why? This was given to me when I was a young parent as a model for discipline, and it has served me unbelievably well. And you're thinking, how did this serve you in thinking about disciplining your child? Well, my first question is, do you think when Paul writes this, that he's just using synonyms for emphasis, do you think trespass and sin are the same in this context? A lot of commentators think so. I, you'd be a good Brian and see what you think. I don't think they are, okay? What is, what is sin generally, the general word in the Bible, what does it mean? Fall short. Fall short, yes. Armatia. Yeah. Miss the mark, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Your kids are going to fall short and they're going to miss the mark because they're not in glorified bodies, right? They're going to fall short and they're going to miss the mark. And Hebrews writer knows this. I, I love the book of Hebrews so much. J.B. probably knows that. And it makes me so sad because it's hardly understood and it's taught so poorly in the church in general. But in the Old Testament, he's making this point that the Old Testament in the Old Covenant, it had a way to deal gently with the ignorant and misguided. The high priest had a path. There were sacrifices they could offer. There was ways to go about this because God knew in our fallen condition, we're just going to make mistakes, not premeditated. We're going to go about life. We're going to enter a circumstance and we're going to react poorly. Okay. But he's created ways for us to deal gently with that. This has been my training ground. When my kids make these kinds of mistakes, when they just fall short, when they, when they just, maybe we ran too hard in their time, I'm not making excuses for them. It's real sin that had to be paid for on the cross. But it's opportunities to correct and guide them gently and lovingly. This happened just the other day with my eight-year-old. Um, she made a mistake. She was playing a game uh, in the neighborhood. And there was a bunch of kids out there, and she and her friend had des designed this game, and they were playing it. 
and some other kids came up and they wanted to jump in, but it was gonna mess up their game. And she just reacted poorly and told them they can't play and, and used harsh language at them, okay? And um, uh, my wife witnessed that. She made a mistake. It wasn't okay what she did and how she reacted, but she didn't get up that morning and premeditate thinking, how can I tell these kids off today, right? <laughs> but it was, I had been, because of these frameworks, when I heard about this, I was like, oh, this is an awesome opportunity to help her and come beside her and rebuke, correct, and train. And so we did that. We talked about how could you have responded. You, you realize that's a poor response, right? Yes. <laughs> so what are you going to do? I'm going to apologize. Okay, let's practice that. How are you going to apologize? How does an eight-year-old apologize? I'm sorry. I said, I don't want you to go tell them how you feel. I want you to apologize to them. Ask for their forgiveness. And then we walked with her and helped her go do it. I'm so glad in some sense that she did that. This is an incredible life equipping opportunity. View that in that model. But what is trespass? It is defiant premeditated, and these are the words you're going to see all throughout the scripture, old and new, talking about it. It's presumptuous, it's high-handed, it's defiant, it's willful, it's deliberate, intentional, premeditated. What was the sacrifice under the old covenant for premeditated, presumptuous sin? There wasn't one. It's so fun talking to an equipped church. (laughs) Very few Christians get this, okay? There wasn't. They were to expect the discipline of God. And a lot of these were capital punishment. Kicked out of camp. Serious stuff. All right? Numbers 15 gets into that. This is David's prayer. What does he say? Keep me back from presumptuous sin. When David was called out on the carpet by Nathan, David thought he was going to die because that was the prescription. And Nathan goes, no, no, no. God's not going to kill you. But But he knew that's the consequence. Here's what I'm telling you. Discipline trespass sin in your kid's life like their life depends on it because it does okay i'm not talking about eternal standing before god i'm talking about temporal judgment trespass sin is devastating to them and everyone around them with trespass sin we're teaching and training our children to live under authority and understand that you reap what you sow when you see trespass in your kids, you have to be fierce with it. I don't, I don't, I, or tense. Tense is a better word. I'm not telling you exactly how to discipline your kids in that moment. You know how it's best. I discipline all three of mine different because they're all different, okay? But when trespass sin arises, you have to nip it in the bud. Don't allow it to grow. What does tr- what does undefiant, long-term growing trespass sin lead to? <clears throat> Death, incarceration. Where, where, do, where does the, the population of people who never live to live under authority live? They live in prison. You've got to teach your kids to live under authority. They're going to be under authority all their lives. Ultimately, the heavenly authority, but if you want them to be spiritually mature and, 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 and get along in this life, you've got to train them to live under authority and discipline, trespass, sin like their life depends on it. Don't mail that in. I don't care how tired you are. Treat it seriously. It is serious, okay? It's not, not an eternal life-standing thing. But treat it seriously. Okay, uh, last two things, just exhortations. We are so busy. Families are overbooked. You've got to schedule margin, okay? Schedule margin in your family's life. Uh, a guy in my church told me this when I had young kids, and it's had a huge impact on our life, and it's really hard to do. 
but I'm just encourage you schedule that margin. We're overbooked, and that probably means your family's going to have to say no to some good things. In in my life, that was competitive travel baseball for my son. That's an example. Um, you're going to have to say no to some temporal things so you have room for that eternal investment. When you don't have margin and you book yourself to the core and you and your family and you're all tired, you're not going to have those intimate spiritual conversations. And, and they take you away from gatherings, not just Sunday morning, but you've got to gather with the body. You need it so much and your kids need it too. And really it's an order versus disorder thing. What's, what's the correct order? What's Matthew 6, 33 say? Seek first what? Kingdom. Yeah, right. Most Christian families right now are seeking everything else and giving God the leftovers, and that's disorder, and it's not going to work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> Lastly, um, another guy in my church said, you know what? Don't tolerate this. Too many people walk around thinking, this is just normal. It's just kids. It's just okay. He's like, it's not okay. Don't tolerate it in your family. And I took that to heart, and, it, and it's right. Don't tolerate sibling fighting in your family. Sibling relationships are the training ground for dealing people, with people the rest of your life. It's not okay. It's not okay in the local body. As an elder, I know this. It's very much impressed upon my heart that division in the body is horrible and is constantly rebuked. Um, so we, we, we shouldn't allow it in our, in our families. And I'll go back to that trespass defiant sin. It doesn't start as murder, right? Where does Jesus say that starts? In your heart, right? With hatred in your heart. Hating your brother and violence against your brother. Don't tolerate it. We're told over and over in the Bible how critical unity is in the body. And that unity is an outpouring of spiritual maturity. <laughs> Use those sibling relationships as that training ground for them and how they're to relate and, and interact with people. Um, the discipline, fighting, and just, it, it's, it's going to happen. It still happens in my family. We just don't tolerate it. It's not okay in our family to not be for one another. Okay. The uh, division's consistently rebuked in the Bible. All right. All right. I was kind of getting through those toolkits. Can I answer any questions or any thoughts on that? Um, I know we're past time, Hunter, but... You're good. You're good. Uh, I got a question. Yeah. So when you're talking about trespass and sin, we define those, but, like, realistically, sometimes I feel like it might be hard to tell the difference between the two. Sometimes it is. And you just have to be discerning as a parent. And sometimes I, I feel like the Lord impresses, like this is a mercy situation, you know, and there's an opportunity to teach that, just like his, David's example. Another, there's going to be a lot that are right on that line. I agree. Another way that I've heard it described is childishness yeah. and more rebellion. Yes, rebellion's another good word. You know, so yeah. if it's done because they're a child and they just don't know better, they yeah. haven't matured through it, yeah. or they just, I'm rebelling, yeah. I'm my way. And, and, and sometimes um, they can fall in a really loud way, right? Like, yeah. and don't mistake the loudness, like the, the, how big the mistake is. Uh, the, to me, it's, it's the premeditated part. It's that trespass sign. You see that final sense that says, do not trespass. You're like, okay, I'll trespass that offense. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the one that I look for to nip in the bud. That heart of, I know what's wrong, I'm going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah. What else? I, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, with the sibling rivalry, yeah. like, um, what's a good verse that comes to mind, I guess, when you're practically teaching that to your kids? Yeah. I mean, outside of, like, the basic verses. So you know? I do use the, the verses in the language about the unity in the local body. 
Um, I think that's uh, yeah, Ephesians. And then uh, is it Psalm? It's good for brothers to. what is it? Yeah, we're together in unity. How good is it for brothers to dwell uh, together in unity? Yeah, that one. Haley, okay. the whole first chat, first part of chapter two of Philippians will be good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Humility, kindness, yeah. So that uh, the older brother that sleeps upstairs and every morning the two younger daughters are in the same bed with him. What what is what? what is he, right? he thinks he can embarrass me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like where's the girls? Oh, he got scared again. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you all for your time. I know we went long, but like I said, this is awesome. You guys keep pursuing that wisdom. The Lord's going to reward you. It really is. I'm confident of that. So thank you. Thanks again for joining us for True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. If you enjoyed this lesson, make sure you subscribe so you can hear the rest of the lessons on True to the Bible podcast. And if you have any questions regarding this lesson or any of the other lessons, make sure you contact us at hunter.davis.com at stillwaterbible.org. Thanks again for joining us.